I am back. This is Lee Alexandra and I'm recording my Music and Mind podcast for the first time in two and a half years. Hi everybody. Honestly, I can't quite believe that two and a half years almost have passed since I last recorded a podcast. And Yesterday was World Mental Health Awareness Day, 2022. I found myself looking back at my podcast and some of the wonderful episodes I created. I'm feeling really confused, actually, about why it was that I stopped. And there was no reason, except for the fact that the past two and a half years have been quite busy Um, with doing lots of wonderful things. So I graduated from WAVDA with a Bachelor of Arts in Vocal Studies with First Class Honours last year and I went straight on to study my Master's degree in Theatre Performance which I have also just graduated from, not officially, we haven't had the cap and gown day yet, um, with distinction which is very very exciting. Yesterday was a tough day. It was World Mental Health Awareness Day and out of the blue I found myself being badly triggered by an email and by the behaviour of somebody else which really threw me into a state of distress and I shared some things on my Instagram and my Facebook uh, and Twitter actually and had such an overwhelming response from people thanking me for being so honest and for addressing some of the topics that I did that it's really compelled me in the past 24 hours to make sure that I don't waste this platform that I worked so hard to set up in the summer of 2020. If you don't remember the summer of 2020, because me, much like many other people, have suffered from brain fog and uh, stress after a really um, strange, uh, unexpected, but collectively stressful time for the whole world, actually, during the period of the pandemic and the lockdown. Um, And I honestly have some memories and some things that have happened that have just gone from my brain like I literally haven't been able to retain some of the things that happened during that crazy time I don't think that's a bad thing because letting go of things that cause you stress is positive um but what I do remember from 2020 is that we had lovely weather in Wales I was in Ponte de Lai Swansea at my grand's house and I found myself really wanting to take the time to be creative and to make things that uh, really showed basically more of who I am and I put that to the side for (laughs) the past two and a half years so that I could focus on getting my degree and then going straight on to get my master's degree but after the support that I received yesterday and the experiences that I went through uh, I really think that it's important for us to start talking about some of the things uh, that I still feel need addressing on a huge scale around mental health, but specifically for this podcast on music and the mind and how we are able to use music as a tool to support us at times of need.
So before we go into the subjects from my experiences this week around the stigma attached to sharing around tablets, feeling weak and a perception that we have been programmed to believe society thinks. Uh, That's all I can put it down to. Let me just give you a little bit of context as to why this is so interesting to me. Back in 2021, as part of my undergraduate degree, I decided to embark on a project where I looked at an exploration of daily singing practice and the impact that that has on well-being and created a fundamental question for my research project, which was, does singing and engaging in musical activity on a daily basis improve and affect well-being over a measured period of time? Now, in the Collins Dictionary, uh, the online version, 2021, it describes well-being as being a noun and says that well-being, someone's well-being, is their health and happiness. And then in italics says, singing can create a sense of well-being. Well, that just says it all. (laughs) My rationale when I started this project was that at the time, I was a full-time student at the Wales International Academy of Voice, YAV at the time, which has now become WAVDA, studying voice for my Bachelor of Arts with Honours degree. And I'd been singing since I was six years old. And although I'd always had singing lessons and taken part in music sessions, from around, I'd say, 1992 to 2018, they were quite irregular and as and when or when I needed or wanted them. Sometimes for longer periods and others, I you know, went extended periods of time without actually engaging in them, except for the time in school when I was sitting my music GCSE and A-level exams. Uh, In a contrast to that, I actually had regular weekly piano lessons from the age of five until I was 18. And for many years, well-being has become a real focus for me and an important part of my daily life, which, as we all know, can be sometimes hard to predict or control. Um, And music has been a means of improving my daily outlook, my mood, my focus, enthusiasm and energy levels even. So music and specifically singing and acting has now become such a core part of my life. And, you know, it was a requirement when I was doing my undergraduate degree that I engaged in daily singing practice, not just uh, as, a, as a part of my learning, but also for my own interest and enjoyment. And it really supported my well-being. That took place through structured lessons, vocal technique, coachings, etc., etc. So some context around why. Why did I want to do this project? Well, in 2002, 20 years ago, (laughs) I completed my A-levels and I was accepted into Cardiff University to study for a Bachelor of Music degree. Unfortunately, at the time, my studies didn't go to plan and I left in 2003. Now, something I've never said and that I actually left out of my dissertation was why I left. And the reason I left in 2003 was because I had a breakdown. I had a breakdown which led to me wanting to take my own life. And it was a dark time. It was a very scary time. And it was a time that I've had to revisit over the past couple of years, 
uh, with vivid recall because of situations uh, that I have been faced with. Uh, And what was interesting about that time is that not many people knew. So I actually made an attempt at my own life and ended up in hospital. And shortly after, broke the news to my family that I wanted to leave university and I wasn't happy on my course. Now, the year and a month prior to this happening, um, I had been a fresher for the very first time. Having done that experience twice now, I can tell you that as an adult mature student fresher, it's not the same. (laughs) And I got caught up in a world of losing myself in alcohol and didn't focus on the reason that I was there and instead focused on my grief, my grief for having lost my grandfather at the time and also the grief for having not been accepted to my first choice of study, which was the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama. Now, I've considered a lot of times why I've never really told the truth about why I left university to so many people. But as I've started talking about my experiences recently, lots of people keep coming up to me or contacting me, phoning, sending messages or direct messages on social media to say how grateful they are that I've shared a certain piece of information about my life and my experiences because it has really helped them. So I am making a promise through this podcast, Music and Mind, which will also be available through the medium of Welsh, music and meddle. I'm making a promise to you listeners, to whoever's listening right now, that I will be honest about my experiences, whilst also protecting a certain element of my dignity and my privacy, and the privacy of those that have been involved, perhaps. So, back to 2003... After I left university, I transitioned straight into the world of work and built a career in education, social services, family support, welfare. That career spanned around 15 years. (laughs) Hard to believe, right? So back in 2010, I worked as a specialist behaviour support teaching assistant in a Welsh medium primary school. And during the day, I was responsible for monitoring and supporting the well-being of a five-year-old child who faced many complex SEBD, social, emotional, behavioural and developmental challenges, which affected their ability to engage with schoolwork, to achieve academically, and also their ability to form and sustain peer relationships. The child, disturbingly, Uh, voiced several thoughts at frequent times about intrusive thought patterns and spoke openly about how they felt. And local health support was given to the family and the child. And my role was actually created specifically in the school to meet the needs of the child. I decided that when behaviour exploded in the classroom or the playground, that one of the methods of intervention that I would use would be to calmly walk the child to the music room with no structured or formal intention and that I would allow the child to express their emotions freely using voice and any other instruments, musical instruments that were available. And doing this on a regular and often daily basis really lessened the intensity of the behaviour that was being displayed and Consequently, this increased their overall well-being. 
this was measured by being able to see that the child was able to begin engaging with work in the classroom, that they had an evident enjoyment and interest in developing and sustaining peer relationships and also socially in the yard and after school. And also the verbalisation that was made through conversation um, of them feeling better in terms of well-being and thought patterns. Now, this experience in my career and quite early in my career of supporting people lent itself as a really positive example of the fundamental question that I raised at the start of my project, which was does singing and engaging in musical activity on a daily basis improve and affect the well-being of a person over a measured period of time. Now, as an undergraduate researcher in 2021, developing the foundations for my project for my undergraduate dissertation, there were so many other factors that I needed to consider that may have influenced the success of the outcomes with the child I supported that I just talked about. One was that my interaction with that pupil was from the moment the pupil arrived at school until they left at the end of the school day, which means I had time specifically for the child. And that time was invested solely in developing a trusting and supporting relationship, as well as improving their behaviour and well-being. I believe that this really impacted uh, our relationship, obviously, and the child's well-being greatly. And therefore, that engagement in singing and musical activity was not the only factor that played a part in the positive outcome that I had. So with that in mind, I really had to consider my role as a researcher and the methods that I adopted to ensure that it didn't impact on my investigation by building relationships of trust and support in the way I previously had as a support worker. And that always, you know, it's not always easy to do that. Um, when you have an ability uh, to engage with people. So I really had to consider my plan very carefully. So I basically went about setting up, facilitating four singing sessions. And I developed questionnaires, short questionnaires, to measure the individual's well-being before and after sessions, which I detailed uh, in my methodology. And I will come back to share with you in the future. So I recruited four adult volunteers to take part in my project and my research and engaged with them over a two to three week period with some prep work happening before the actual uh, investigations and the research and the sessions. Before, during and after those sessions, I had really hoped not to focus on using my previous experience and skills set to support the individuals with well-being or personal issues. And I really felt that recognising this was important to achieve like a really fair outcome. But <laughs> when the case study sessions began, I quickly realised that the skills and qualities I've developed throughout my career as a practitioner are innate in me. And so my style of delivery and facilitation is just naturally one of a supportive nature. Now that I've told you a little bit about my history, my own journey with mental health, with music, my exploration through being a practitioner, a student, twice, an undergrad, a postgrad, let's circle back 
my new favourite word, (laughs) my new favourite phrase. Let's circle back to now, the week of October, to be exact, October the 11th, 2022, and yesterday and Mental Health, World Mental Health Awareness Day. So yesterday, I found myself talking about triggers. And in the arts, you'll be familiar if you're in the arts or if you've been to watch a piece of art, a piece of theatre, if you have watched something. These days, we are really familiar with seeing the word trigger warning. Now, in my experience, (laughs) I've never found that uh, a trigger can actually be preempted and yesterday was the perfect example for this nobody could have told me if they'd have offered me a triggered warning before opening an email that I would be triggered in the way that I was and I felt really bad for this yesterday Uh, I felt like I had taken a hundred steps back to a few years ago before receiving an excellent course of therapy through my my counsellor, I felt like I had gone back in time and that I had been triggered so badly that maybe I had done something wrong in the past few years to not to have sustained the great work that I did and the huge steps I took in moving forward in how I dealt with my mental health and the tools and strategies and resilience that I've built up after the past four years since 2019 have been exceptionally difficult. I would say even having told you about my experience as a first time student in university as an 18, 19 year old, even after going through that, I would say the past few years, four years specifically, have been the most difficult um, in the past 10 years. So I open an email, I feel upset, I am triggered instantly, my mood and my anxiety goes through the roof, I was hysterical, I was crying, I didn't know what to do with myself. Now before I'd built up a a toolkit um, through therapy, um, my default would have been to self-destruct, so to uh, sabotage relationships intentionally to create conflict, to seek out opportunities for this and to manufacture a thought pattern in my mind to um, to be the catalyst of this really. And my gosh, that has been so damaging in my life. Um, because when that happens, I spiral out of control. And it hasn't happened for a very long time. So yesterday, my instinct was to do that. But I calmed that thought. And I reached out for help. And I reached out to people who I haven't perhaps reached out before. And they shared with me um, that they were willing to help try and bring some focus. So through tears and distress, I managed to reach out to um, a body of support, uh, which I won't detail for 
the sake of privacy and not divulging direct information in this podcast right now. Um, and within about half an hour, I had two two phone calls. One was from a professional who was um, happy to investigate um, the sharings of uh, what I shared with them. And I had a really intellectual and helpful conversation with this person. And the second call that came through was from my counsellor. And I won't name him, but he is a him. And he is just lovely. And I picked up the phone and I didn't, I kind of recognised the number, but I didn't recognise that it was going to be him. And I answered and he said, hi, it's it's me. And oh my gosh, his voice and the fact that he had called me, I was so pleased. Now, this wasn't out of the blue. <laughs> this wasn't a coincidence. I do believe in, you know, magical moments like that. But this was because I had alerted somebody else who then alerted him that I needed to speak to him urgently um, because I was in a state of severe distress. Um, and I know that not everybody that is listening to this will have had that same support. And if you haven't experienced that level of support, then I'm sorry particularly if you've gone through periods of distress where you've been on your own or not felt supported by anybody. But I have to tell you that there are loads of avenues of support that are free, that are accessible and that will support you when you need it. One of which is the Samaritans, which I'll tell you the number now is 116123. They are excellent. There is also Mind if you go on to mind.org um, and there are also other avenues through whichever um, so wherever you work or wherever you study there are often well-being advisors available who will lead you in the direction so please get in contact if you need it so he rings and he, he instantly I felt calmer and in the time that I had first made the call and the emails earlier on that morning and also spoken to my friend, I had taken uh, two propranolol tablets um, and posted on my social media um, that I was feeling upset, um, but that I was okay um, and that I had decided to take my anti-anxiety medication. I took the first tablet, let that settle and then took another one. Um, the great thing about the tablets that I'm taking and um, I'm not talking to you as a medical profession. Please consult with your GP um, to discuss any of your medication or personal needs. Um, but the great thing about that I found about these is that um, one, they I can take them sporadically if needed. There was a period of time I took them for months and um, at a much higher dose. Um, but also just being able to take one or two yesterday um, really, really helped with the um, imminent uh, episode of anxiety and my trigger. So yeah, trigger triggers in life, mental health triggers, they don't come with a content warning. You don't get a memo or a text just before it's about to happen, say, hey, Lee, just to warn you, you are about to have a trigger. <laughs> Do something about it. <laughs> um, and I really feel this important for us to talk about that. Now, I talked about it with my counsellor yesterday. 
And he said to me, listen, you've said a couple of times now that you feel bad that you've got upset today and that it's resulted in you feeling like this. And I need to tell you that no one can know that they're coming. You didn't know it was going to happen. And when we deal with our triggers, when we go to therapy, we're not completely eradicating a period of time that has been traumatic. Now, there have been lots of um, events in my life which have made my biggest triggers my biggest triggers. And um, those periods of time are are in history. Yeah, okay, they're, they're the past. But it doesn't mean that they the memory of them has completely gone. The memory of them is still there. What I've done over the years is learnt how to deal and cope with them, strategies to manage it, to be able to move forward. But sometimes, for a variety of reasons, which I may not ever fully understand, we are triggered. We are triggered unexpectedly. And there's no one to blame for that. I am not to blame for feeling triggered. And actually, even the person that was responsible for the behaviour isn't to blame for my trigger. They're responsible for their own actions and for their own choices in how they treat people, how they respond, how they support or how they don't support in this case. Um, But no one is responsible for the brain's uh, pattern and the trigger just creeping up on you like an unexpected rain cloud when you're out in the beautiful sunny day and you don't expect there to be rain and you're on your bike cycling through the city and the beautiful parks of Cardiff and all of a sudden a shower comes but you didn't take a raincoat just like that moment I didn't have a warning that it was going to happen so if you've recently been triggered or if you deal with triggers on a regular basis and they come and creep up on you and you have an element of um, of concern about why it is you're not able to intervene with your own thought process, please know that it is almost impossible to know when you are going to be triggered. And you must be kind to yourself and know that you couldn't have preempted it. I couldn't have preempted yesterday, but what I can do is talk about the things that I can do to support myself and hopefully in sharing that with you, support you. So yesterday, after reaching out for support, instead, this was instead of going into destruction mode, which was a pattern of behaviour I have taken part in for, I would say, I'm going to be honest and say as much as 30 years. We will, at the end of this episode, I'll tell you what next episode will be about and we will cover that in another episode. But yesterday I reached out. I spoke to a friend. I spoke to um, a support body for support. I then spoke to my previous therapist. I then had a very logical and sensible conversation with somebody else, an academic and I realised that I needed to take my tablets. Now, there's been some stigma in my life. I felt embarrassed about the fact that sometimes I have needed to take tablets and I have never gone on to antidepressant medica- medication for personal reasons, actually. 
Um, but I have very willingly taken uh, beta, beta blockers for my anxiety. And there is no shame in needing to take medication. I have worked with, I know personally, and have spoken to so many people who need to. And again, just to disclaim here that I'm not a GP, so I'm just talking from my own personal experiences. But yesterday, as soon as I had taken the beta blocker, I, uh, within about 20 to 30 minutes, felt calmer and took a second one so that I could then sustain that feeling of calm for as long as possible. I don't know why that I feel that me taking tablets is a sign of me being weak. I don't know where that's come from. It certainly isn't a sign of weakness and for anybody listening who um, takes it, please know that my thoughts in feeling that I have been weak is not a reflection or me saying in any way that I judge you for taking them or anyone else. I just personally have always felt that it's a sign of weakness and yet um, know so many people who function so well and I function well (laughs) but it's brought me anxiety. Taking anxiety tablets has brought me anxiety. One of the reasons being is that I remember quite a few years ago, four or five years ago, someone saying to me at a time, this was at a time when I was taking 80 milligrams a day on a regular basis. Someone said to me, someone who was in my life at the time, who isn't anymore, said to me, "Um, are you okay, Lee? I was like, yeah, I'm I'm fine. Why? Oh, you just seem really flat. And... I was like, no, I'm I'm okay actually. I'm I'm actually really good. Um what they'd observed is that my spark had kind of had the edge taken off it. And the reason for this was because sometimes I have an imbalance. I have a hormone imbalance, I have a mood imbalance. So I sometimes I'm really up there and really bubbly, and other times I can be really withdrawn. Um, now I don't personally, I haven't been diagnosed or haven't explored suffering with bipolar, but I do suffer with chronic anxiety and that then brings periods of low. So in response to this person asking me, was I okay? Because I seemed really quiet. I was like, well, yeah, I'm fine. And they thought I was in a mood. They turned it around on them and said, well, are you sure you're okay? Because, you know, you seem really funny with me. And oh, I mean, that was frustrating in its in itself. But when I reflected on it, I realised that they took the edge off. They took the edge off because they calmed me down. And therefore, when they calmed me down, I was more constant. I was sort of plateaued in mood. And this kept me from having... Um, massive outbursts or massive spirals and episodes of severe anxiety and then also severe lows. Um, So I guess in my personal experiences um, and also actually to bring it a bit more to the present time, whilst I was doing my master's degree, um, somebody that I was involved with there, again I won't name whether it was a student or a lecturer or whatever, for personal reasons, um, because it's not about them. But somebody kind of commented that I was withdrawn. And um, 
I had actually explained already to this person like a few weeks before that I felt that I needed to take my medication so that I could just have a bit more of a balanced view on our sessions, on the things that were going on in our cohort. Um, And I really did like share honestly with this person (laughs) and then received feedback later on um, that I was withdrawn and that because of that I had um, some negative feedback. And this is so frustrating, like so frustrating to the point that it sets off and can be the catalyst of an episode Um, because what is not right about this whole situation is that when we share about our mental health, when we put ourselves in a vulnerable position to share with people who we trust, who we should trust and should be able to be confident with, that they can keep things private but also um, respect it. When then you get negative feedback as a result of sharing your vulnerabilities, it makes you lose faith and trust in people. And so um, my association with my anxiety tablets has just become an interesting relationship. That said, I'm so glad that I listened to my instincts yesterday and took them. One of the other amazing tools that is in my toolbox to support myself during periods of uh, distress or, you know, when uh, an episode of anxiety is coming on is fresh air. Oh my gosh. And over the past few months, I invested in a secondhand bike. Now, I've already got my lovely bike, Claudia, which if you've known me for a while, you'll know Claudia my beautiful Claude Butler bike has been all over the world with me. She came to, yeah, she's a she. <laughs> she came to Geneva when I lived in Geneva. She came to Brussels and, of course, here in Wales. Um, now, I have Claudia, but I can't really build up any speed on her. So a few months ago, I invested on in a secondhand bike from a shop in Swansea called Recycle. And they sort of um, do up and save bikes that have either going to go to the tip or have been thrown out or surplus to requirements anymore and I had this lovely bike for a very very reasonable price like I'm talking six seven hundred pounds cheaper than what it's retailing at so I have been getting in the miles on my new bike yet to be named don't know why um So yesterday, once I'd spoken to my counsellor, my previous therapist, I went out on my bike, I made a flask, I took some really warm clothes and I just cycled and cycled and cycled (laughs) and then I stopped and enjoyed the sun and I enjoyed the freedom of focusing on an action, which is cycling and allowing my mind just to be still And sometimes during the cycle, I felt myself reliving some conversations from yesterday, some conversations over message or email and literally saying out loud to myself, no, no, stop it. I don't don't want to think about that right now. No, I'm not talking about this right now. No, I'm not thinking about it. It's not welcome. I am enjoying my cycle and my fresh air. And I had to do that a few times, actually. Um, then the sun came out and I sat down in it by the beautiful Secret Garden Cafe in Butte Park and just lay in the sun <laughs> like it was a lovely summer's day for... I don't know. I don't even know how long it was. I lost track of time. It doesn't really matter how long it was. Um, 
and then finished off my flask and my biscuits and cycled home. When I got back, I'd done just under 22 kilometres over a few hours. I was out for three hours and I was absolutely exhausted. And I was exhausted because obviously, as you know, earlier in the morning I had had um, uh, a trigger which came unexpected and really fired so much cortisol and adrenaline through my body, through my bloodstream, to my mind and was quite a stressful and unpleasant experience. And what I did in in using my tool of going outside and having exercise and just being in fresh air was flush out that cortisol and adrenaline with endorphins. And uh, I think that um, it's underestimated. People often exercise to change their body shape or because they're focusing on like a specific thing. Um, I need to say that I don't. <laughs> I do it because it is a tool that helps me. It helps my mental health. It is my saviour. It has become my saviour. It is, as somebody who has an addictive personality, who has experienced addiction throughout her life, um, I have experienced uh, addiction in many forms throughout my life, which we will talk about another time. Um being addicted to exercise is actually really healthy for me because it is so, so great. And it offers me the chance to just be able to escape from negative thought patterns and from the desire to just stay in bed and just shut off the world or self-sabotage. Now, as well as exercise, as well as taking medication and talking to people, of course, it would not be a Music and Mind episode unless I talk to you about music. (laughs) And singing, as you already know, is a self-healing tool that I am just obsessed with. I'm totally here for it. I sing as much as I can. I have been having a couple of I think stress-related issues with my voice recently. Um, I am having some investigations later on this week, just to check. But uh, when I got back from my cycle, I put on one of my favourite playlists, which is good old Celine Dion, and sang some absolute classics on the top of my voice. And I just know that for me, coming back to it, coming back to singing and music is my favourite way to end my day and to close that toolbox up for one day, for one episode, and be thankful that I have the ability to tune into that as a tool for managing my wellbeing and my mental health. My research project as an undergrad, which I finished in 2021, proved that the four participants of my project who said they were not singers and uh, that they didn't class themselves as the typical singer or musician. It proved that uh, actually anybody can use singing as a tool to support your well-being. And later on in these podcasts, in another episode, we will talk about that in a bit more detail. And I will let you, I'll let you hear a bit about what else I did and I I really want to share with you some of those methods and some of the strategies I use to measure not just my own well-being but the well-being of others because 
if I can share a tool with you that's useful to share with others, then it will be done with great pleasure. For now, I'm going to bring this episode to a close and I just want to thank so many of you again for listening today, for being here for me, for if you follow my social media, for following me there, but also for responding in such a positive way. Um, It's scary to share the truth about life sometimes. Um, I found it scary to share the truth about my life, but when we share with other people, we could be having such an impact on somebody else's day, on somebody else's journey in a positive way, hopefully, that helps them feel that reaching out for support is more acceptable than perhaps they've thought. Um, And together, I really think we can make a difference. So I also, as well as being honest with you, I pledge and promise that I'm going to do everything I can to make changes so we can take better steps in the areas that still need to work on around mental health awareness. And we're going to circle back (laughs) and use music to help us to do that. And my experience now as a postgraduate uh, graduate working in the arts and having the absolute honour of working with young people, with older people, creating my own uh, magic through um, scripts, through music. And in doing that, I feel absolutely honoured that um, I have so much experience personally and as a practitioner and an artist that I can share with you. And I'm really excited to do that. So for now, I'll say goodbye. You've been listening to Lee Alexandra on Music and Mind and this episode, the first welcome back episode in two and a half years. How exciting.